Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 23. We are going to begin reading with minimal overlap of what Pastor Steve read earlier, beginning in verse 50. Luke chapter 23, verse 50. We will read to the end of the book. This is Luke's account from the apostles and eyewitnesses of what happened. Luke 23, verse 50, read with me. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then As they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known these things which happened in in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. 
But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were there with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them, and the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And, the, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. This is, a, this is a powerful Sunday to be gathered together. 
It's true that all Sundays should be powerful. But our hearts are perhaps, I don't know, a little more in tuned to the significance of what Jesus has done for us on Easter Sunday. Uh, This morning, uh, I will be brief and not go for hours on end. But I want to recover with you five reasons to celebrate Easter. Five reasons to celebrate Easter. And the first one I'll give you is this. Uh, In the resurrection of Jesus, God is revealed as the owner of this story. In the resurrection of Jesus, God is revealed as the owner of this story. We've been talking about narrative and story quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. I think it's been appropriate to do it and to reflect on Jesus as the word of God who took on flesh. Resurrections don't just happen. As we can tell in the account, the disciples considered the tales of the first witnesses of an empty tomb and an interaction with angels to be nothing more than idle talk. Resurrections don't just happen. The resurrection of Jesus, then, is a demonstration of God's power to all the world that he is the author of all creation. And as the author of all creation, as the author of the creation story, and you can praise God for this, he did not put his pen down in Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world. God has taken the story of our sin and our disgrace and he has made it a story of his love and mercy in a shocking, miraculous way. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, then I will draw all peoples to myself. And Jesus Christ is God's testimony that he owns this story And this story that began with the creation of the world and continues even now today, which you play some part of in the world that we live in, this is not a tragedy. This is not a story of mere failure and defeat and death and destruction. That is the story that the rest of the world tells. One day the sun will burn out and the world will freeze over. And life as we know it here will come to an end. One day the atmosphere will be so polluted that human beings will no longer live. One day a volcano will erupt and will be the end of us as it was the dinosaurs. One day this will happen and one day that will happen. These big macro stories of tragedy and human destruction define the narrative and the scare culture of our society. But that is not the story that God has written. It is not his story. And at the resurrection of Jesus, he powerfully demonstrates that he is not under the obligation of any natural law. He is not under the penmanship of some foreign writer. He is not compelled to adhere to the narrative of a tragedy. Jesus is victorious and you and I in him. The cross is where the story of our fall into sin transforms into a story of miraculous redemption. 
God changed the story for the course of the human being world that we live in. In one moment, human beings were granted the power of eternal life through Jesus Christ. The finite granted the opportunity for flesh and blood infinity. In the work of Jesus Christ, this man and woman created in the Garden of Eden to have fellowship with God and to live with him there in a life-sustaining way for eternity. This story of a creation who chose rebellion, who did not believe that death would come in sin, who did not believe in the earnestness and the integrity of God when he warned them not to do this thing, who chose instead to believe an enemy, who told them, if you do this, you will be like God, for your eyes will be opened. This story of failure and death and suffering, witnessed even in their own two sons, Cain and Abel, this story was transformed into an amazing story of redemption, whereby our sin becomes the creative work of God to demonstrate His love and patience and mercy. God will change the story of sin and disgrace into a story of love and mercy for everyone who believes in the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is not just about a grand macro story that encompasses all of the human race. But this is a personal story written to you, delivered to you with great care that your life does not have to be a tale of destruction, that your life does not have to be a meaningless tragedy. The creator of all the universe stepped into the narrative himself as the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he took your sin and the tragedy of your life on his shoulders. And in the resurrection of Jesus, he offers you victory. Reason number one to celebrate Easter. God owns this story. Reason number two. The enemy, our enemy, is defeated. Sometimes when you hear people use the name of Satan, it conjures up almost a comical feeling of fairy tale nature because for us, Satan has become almost synonymous with devilish illustrations and fairy tales. And the idea of Satan, the idea of a devil, has been hijacked by popular culture and employed in all sorts of other fictional writings. But the enemy of God is a very real being. The word Satan is not a name. It's a description that is so apt for this enemy that it became a way of referring to him. It means adversary. Satan means adversary. And he is the adversary of God. This is from Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning in verse 13. Listen to God speak to this adversary. You were in Eden, the garden of God. 
Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis, the luzela, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your own splendor. I cast you to the ground. Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, testifies to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning. In John 8, Jesus describes Satan with these words. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Now this is what Jesus said on his way to the cross in John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of the world. Now... The ruler of this world will be cast out. In Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, the Lord spoke judgment upon Adam. He spoke judgment upon Eve. And he spoke judgment upon his enemy who had tampered in his creation, who had corrupted his people, Here is what God spoke to Satan in Genesis 3.15. He wrote as a form of judgment, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The crucifixion of Jesus is the enemy's best shot at the king of kings. Jesus said on the night of his arrest to those who arrested him in in Luke chapter 22, this is verse 53. This is in the garden when the soldiers come. Every day I was in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this hour belongs to you and to the power of darkness. The arrest, the beating, the trial, the scourging, the crucifixion of God's son was the enemy's best shot at Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus demonstrates that in the grand scheme of things, the enemy's best shot is nothing more than an ankle-biter annoyance. You will bruise his heel. You will nip at the sole of his foot. But he will crush your head. On the other hand, the resurrection of Jesus brings salvation to sinners, strips Satan of his hold on them. And what's more than that, the resurrection of Jesus demonstrates God's power to establish an everlasting kingdom, 
An everlasting kingdom on this earth where Satan has brought corruption. A kingdom with inhabitants who will not be held by the death that he led them into. Who will not be held by sin and who will eternally, ultimately look to the Lamb of God as the slain, worthy King of kings forever. In the resurrection of Jesus, Satan is utterly defeated. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent whose power was broken and whose fate is sealed. You do not have to be led around by the power of darkness. His time is over. His days are numbered. You do not have to be the Ephesians 2 person who simply mindlessly follows the course of this world which is set on a path of destruction by a silent adversary of God working behind the scenes. You do not have to live that way. Satan exercises dominion over the people of this earth. They are willing servants of him without even realizing that they owe their allegiance to him. How? By simply doing what they want doing what they feel like, behaving in a way that seems best to them with utter disregard to the reality that there is a sovereign God who will hold them to account. Every time you turn on the TV and you are tempted to watch something you're not because there's been a clever advertisement of it, some clever symboling of it, some lustful depiction of it. That is Satan and the power of darkness at work in the world manifested straight to your television screen. It doesn't take a genius to look at the world that we live in and to come to the conclusion that we are not a people striving towards righteously honoring our God, but the direction of the culture is away from Him. This has always been the case. Even in what is so-called the glory days of the United States, this has always been the case. God alone brings people out of darkness and into light. God alone brings people out from under the sway of this ruler of darkness and into a relationship with Him where they can become children of the living God. Yes, in the resurrection of Jesus, the enemy is defeated. He'll do that in your life too. Third thing we can celebrate at the resurrection of Jesus God has broken the power of death over human beings. God has broken the power of death over human beings. Now I'm going to read scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20. Listen to the apostle Paul say this so clearly. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Of those who have fallen asleep and died. Jesus Christ has become the very first harvest, the very first to resurrect into everlasting life in the body, in the flesh. For since by man came death, that's Adam, then by man, Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. 
And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 26. Everyone, whether they are consciously aware of it or not, lives life with the sober reality that death is a ticking clock whose face is hidden from their eyes. They cannot read the hands on the clock. They do not know how much of it remains. But from time to time, and with increasing frequency as we age, They hear the whisper of it in their minds and they feel the weight of it on their souls. Death is coming. A funeral, a tragedy, a scare of sickness and we are reminded that death is a calamity we cannot escape nor can those who we love escape it. We must face it and it stands ready to rip our lives apart were it not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, Paul writes, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, The Lord Jesus is going to return. Whoever is following him on the earth at his return, they'll have no advantage over those who've fallen asleep because those who are asleep are coming with him. Verse 16, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I am not afraid of death. Oh, it scares me from time to time. I don't enjoy brushing up against the enemy that Christ has defeated. But it doesn't have any victory over me. It doesn't, and it won't ever. Christian people for thousands of years have willingly marched to their death, refusing to deny the Lord in front of governors and soldiers because they are not afraid of death By faith, it is an enemy that has been defeated. Did you catch the end? Verse 17. And thus we shall always be 
with the Lord. That's the fourth thing to celebrate in the resurrection of Jesus. That we may be with him. In John chapter 14, I want to read to you just these six verses. The words of Jesus. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Because I am going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus is preparing a place where, me, where we may dwell with him. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may also be. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God has made a way through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you to be with him. And if he has done that, he wants to be with you. That is like amazing. You are not to God like some stray animal suffering along the side of the road with him slowly taking you in and nursing you back to life because he feels bad. What a tragedy that just happened. You are to God a precious child. He has prepared a place for you. He has dealt with your sin legally and eternally at great cost to himself. He wants to be with you. It's mind-blowing. Do you know how many times in the Bible God says, do not be afraid, I am with you. A wonderful Easter homework assignment. Go home and go to Blue Letter Bible, the website, and just type into the search bar to search the scriptures. Three words, four words, <laughs> I am with you. Look at how many times it appears and you tell yourself, this is the story that God has always been writing. This one. Not one of death and destruction and slaughter and pain and suffering and cancer and sin and on and on and on and on. This is the story. This is the God who reveals himself to Abraham. This is the God who reveals himself to Isaac and Jacob. This is the God who promises that in the seed of David all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This is the God who sent a Messiah who when he was lifted up would draw all peoples to himself. It is a story of a creation who has separated themselves from a holy God. This is the first John 1 message that we have been tackling in many of our Bible studies in the midweek and Sunday school services. Where we read that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. It's a story of a creation who chose darkness 
and yet God wanted to be with them anyway. It's a story of a traitorous people who chose God's adversary and yet he longs to redeem them. John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, who was called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord after the resurrection. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprints of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be to you. Then he turned to Thomas. Place your finger here and see my hands. And take your hand and put it in my side. And do not continue in disbelief, but be believing. Thomas answered and said to him, What else do you say? My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you now believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. That's you and me. That's you and me. We can be with the Lord forever. We can be with Him now. Fifth reason, last one, why you should celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The best one, to my thinking. Jesus is a worthy king. It's one thing to have a king. It's one thing to be saved from something. But Jesus, Jesus is a worthy king. Revelation chapter 5. Listen to this. This is chapter 5, verse 1 of Revelation. This is John writing in his visions of the throne room of God. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Listen to the question. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Imagine a scroll rolled up with a seal along the edge. A scroll ready to be unraveled, ready to be read. A decree from the king, from the one who sits on the throne, ready to be executed. And it's rolled and sealed with seven seals. And it's raised. And the question comes, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. And this is John writing, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. 
This scroll is coming from God. It is the action of God. It is the will of God. It is the great salvation that John himself had placed his faith in and no one was worthy to open it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, David being a king, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Do you hear that description? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Think of a lion. The root of David, the great king of Israel. His heir, the rightful heir to the eternal throne. A king is worthy. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Gets me every time. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the great king of kings and lord of lords, appears as a crucified sacrifice. Jesus is a worthy king. It is my honor to live for Jesus Christ. It would be my great honor to die for Jesus Christ. And I would do anything to be with him. He is not like the other great men on the earth. He knows me. He loves me. He has been gentle and kind to me. Forgiving my deepest failures. Overlooking my most shameful thoughts and actions. And blessing my mostly meager faithfulness as if I had somehow moved mountains. He is a worthy king. Let me leave you this morning with his invitation. And ask yourself, is this a king I can serve? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light I don't find a taskmaster in Jesus but a king who loves me in the words of Paul spoken to a terrified jailer in the middle of the night in Philippi believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved let's close with a word of prayer Father, you have given us a king that is above all other leaders in our lives. You have given us an example to follow, your spirit to empower us to do so. You have not left us as a people stricken by guilt and shame. You have died on the cross to free us from our guilt. As everyone gathered here this morning goes about their 
events for the rest of the day. Father, I have one request. That you will, by the power of your Spirit, continually bring them back to your great love for them and your desire to be with them eternally. And that this day will not be about bunnies and candy or even family and friends, but that we will pause at this holy Passover and remember that you are the author of our redemption and you will be king. Father, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.